everybody to this week's Garden of Peace teaching. We are on chapter 11 in Rabbi Shalom Arusha's book, The Garden of Peace, A Marital Guide for Men. Um, and first of all, I, I want to take a time out for just a moment here before it is that we get started. Um, make sure out of uh, in the description there, you have all these different links here. And one of the things I'm starting to realize here really quickly is that essentially uh youtube and uh and uh social media and all those things really mean nothing <laughs> and i'll tell you why here in a little bit um make sure to go and subscribe on itunes make sure to go and do that in either the video version or the mp3 version as well that we'll be going we clean up the audio make it 10 times better for you and uh go and send it over there one of the things that we've been uh have an issue with here recently is we like to go and share these teachings with various groups and all this stuff, you know, so more people can have access to these teachings. Now, certain groups are out there that have have tried to pull these programs, and particular me as a host, into um, their groups of uh, teachers and all that stuff. And it usually is these groups that I don't necessarily agree with. They they tend to be, um, you know, pseudo Jewish groups like you know the Hebrew Roots movement or something like that. That, uh, you know, do a little bit of Torah, but not, uh, you know, they don't want to follow through with halakha and all these things. Um, issues with, you know, Ephraimite identity and things like, uh, you know, uh, sacred name movement and all that stuff. And the thing about it, though, is that ultimately what, it, what has ended up happening, they said that we're not going to approve these teachings in, our, in, in, in here because you refuse to be a part of you know, uh, this group of teachers in which it is that we, you know, want to advance forward that will adopt these particular ideologies that are totally unfounded and unbiblical ideas, um, such as, you know, like, like I mentioned before, sacred name movement, Ephraimite identity, AKA two house movement, um, paleo Hebrew, Aleph Tav, you know, all of that garbage and all this stuff. And, uh, apparently, um, I was actually told just a couple of minutes ago before we went on air that actually that um, because of the fact that I went to yeshiva school, which you see the certifications right here behind me, because of the fact that I actually went through and got education in these things, that uh, uh, that that basically you guys shouldn't listen to these teachings because of that. And so, you know, this this is some of the crazy stuff I have to deal with on a daily basis. And so the thing about it, though, is that at some point, chances are you're not going to be able to get these on these other platforms because they're constantly being reported and all that stuff. I've actually been reported for hate speech, believe it or not, which you get any, any of you guys who know me know that it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on iTunes on, on the, either the video or the MP3 pod, podcast. So go and do that. And so let us go ahead and get started into what it is that we're here to talk about here today. Let me get a sip of my drink. All right, let's see here. We are in chapter 11 of Rabbi Shalom Arush's book, The Garden of Peace, A Marital Guide for Men. And as you could tell, we are more than halfway done with it here. We just got this amount to go here, just a couple of more chapters. And I want to, first of all, say congratulations to all of you that have been following with us every single week as we've been going through this series of teachings and I've gotten tons of emails from individuals saying that their marriages have been totally and utterly transformed because of this series. I probably get 
somewhere around 50 to 100 emails every single week on this particular series, you know, um, and people saying how much this series has helped their marriage. Okay, so make sure to go and share this around with individuals who you know who are getting ready to get married, people who are dating, people who need help in their marriage and all these things. We have all of the archives up there on our website over at lapidjudaism.com. Go and click on the podcast tab and then click on Brutal Planet. You can get both the video and the MP3 versions there, as well as, like I mentioned before, iTunes. So this week's chapter is entitled, A Man of Valor. And we're used to the term, Ishet Chayel, you know, a woman of valor. And so this is a really interesting thing. What we, we got Rabbi Shalom Arush over here saying, man of valor. You know, why is it he's, he's saying this? Here's what he says. He says, we can conclude from Rabbi Nachman's teaching, in order to make a living for his family, one must be a man of valor. He shouldn't be lazy or a slouch or place the burden of livelihood on his wife. He should realize that the responsibility of making a living rests on his shoulders. He should believe in himself and vigorously make every practical and spiritual effort to make a living. Now, in today's culture, we really have, you know, many things that are kind of working against traditional Judaism in this manner, in terms of of the the roles of men and women. And the thing about it, though, is the way that it's seen from the Western society is that women are seen that if we go and take into account the words of Chazel, as well as the biblical premises, the words of Chazel are built upon the biblical premises, we see many people that, that, that will say that the Bible, in terms of women, is very oppressive, and that, you know, it doesn't give them the freedom that it is that men have. And I say... Chashvi Shalom. God forbid anyone would say such a thing. As a matter of fact, we see the exact and complete opposite. We can look to Brit Hadashah. When it is that we have Miriam, or not Miriam, but Martha, going and talking before Yeshua after her brother Lazarus has, had passed away, he goes and he says to her, Have no worry, for your brother will rise again. She says, I know my Adon. On the resurrection day. Now we never see the apostles or anybody else say anything through the journeys with Yeshua so prolific. We never see them go and talk about these things that are found deeply within that of Hasidic Halacha. But we do find Miriam, or Martha rather, saying these words. We also see that Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, his words are taken greatly out of context. Whenever it's talked about how it is that a woman shouldn't speak up within that of the shoulder, she should go home and she should ask her husband. Why is this? When the words of Rav Shaul are spoken, the, the, the reason for these is for the reason of application. And what comes out and perspires through said application. Say, for instance, that it is man that your wife. First of all, she goes and has a question about something in the shul. She goes home and she asks you. What is it that you do? Look at all look at all the books we got on this desk here. We got this stack of books over here. We got all of these over here. And let's say that it is that we go and we break all these books out, spread them all about the table over here to answer a wife's question. 
We are doing this diligently out of love for that and commitment to, uh, to uh, if, if a man does this, he is doing this for the love and the commitment of his wife. He's doing this for the reason of wanting to supply her with the best answer that it is that he can and make sure that he gets it from every single vantage point and every single angle. And so therefore, what happens is he goes and presents the answer and he says, well, this is what I found in terms of this, in terms of the language. This is what I found in terms of, you know, uh, ancient halachav through that of the Mishnah or Tosefta or something of the short. This is what I found in Shulchan Aruch. This is what I found within the Zohar. This is what I found in terms of the words of Rabbi Nachman or Breslov or the Baal Shem Tov or Rabbi Schneerson. These are the things that it is that they say, and this is how it is that we should interpret this particular passage. The thing about it, though, is that considering that women think on a much higher mandrega, as the Holy Zohar says, considering that they think on a much higher mandrega than us men do, the thing about it, though, is they are going to then go and challenge it, cause us to study even more, causes us to think more and see things from many different vantage points. This is a blessing to that of the husband when it is that the wife inserts her chokmah into that of his answer. Her wisdom is given to him and it's, and it's set aside specifically for him. So in this manner here, what we ultimately end up having here is that by the man going and going to work, going and providing the livelihood for that of his wife and as well for that of the children, the thing that we ultimately end up seeing is that she then has more time to be the spiritual influence upon that of the children. These are things that are not thought about in the feminist society today. Instead, it's seen from a much different view that Judaism and the words of the Apostle Paul go and oppress women, which, again, chasvi shalom, when you look at the application, it is far from being the truth. As a matter of fact, this is for the reason of edification and for the reason of her not having to worry so that her shalom bais, her peace in her home, will then increase through that of these things being done by that of her husband. That's so important to understand. That is so important to realize. Rabbi Nachman goes on here, or not Rabbi Nachman, but uh, Rabbi Shalom Arush. He says, the obligation and responsibility of making a living is the husband's. A wife should have no business with or worry about livelihood issues. A Jewish bridegroom assumes this obligation and responsibility the moment that he signs the ketubah. For in the husband, uh, for in it, the husband commits to work for, to honor, to feed, to provide for, and to clothe his wife. In other words, anything that's connected with making a living, such as food, clothes, shelter, is solely the responsibility of the husband. He must fulfill all her needs, and she has no obligation in the area of making a living. Rabbi Nachman's message is that after a husband girds himself in strength, he accepts the responsibility of making a living. Once he governs, then he attaches himself to the spiritual, fear, uh, fear, uh, the spiritual sphere of monarchy, or machut, and then he can provide for her, but <coughs> if he, if he shirk, uh, uh, shirks his, his responsibilities, 
and acts like a helpless papur, then he won't have his share in government. <coughs> then the connections to the sphere of monarchy. And he'll fail to invoke the blessing of a decent income. This deals with the attributes of what is called Zeranpin that is, that is found within that of the Zohar. Okay? When a husband boldly accepts the challenge of making a living for his wife, he assumes complete responsibility thereof. He is already invoking the blessing of adequate income. Such a husband acts like a governor of his own family unit. This is the measure of government that connects him to the sphere of Malkut and which invokes a great income. Okay? So we ultimately end up seeing one of the things that the reason why the Zohar is so important within that of understanding, you know, which step do we take in certain aspects of life that are outside of that of Halakha. The reason why this is so important is because of the fact that we ultimately end up seeing how certain things like Malchut affect things like Chokmah, how it is that it affects Yesod, how it affects Binah, how it affects Chesed and Gevura and Ta'at, you know, and Tiferet and all these things down the line. And that we can go a certain path, we can go a certain way. There's, it says within that Sefer Yetzirah that there are 32 paths that deal with the 22 letters of the Hebrew Aleph base, as well as the 10 attributes of Sefirot. And so the thing about it, though, is that we ultimately end up seeing how it is that we can almost see what an outcome is going to be by going through the certain paths, through that of the letters and so on and so forth. And so that's, that's the reason why the Zohar, as well as Sefer Yetzirah, go and provide the information that it does to, to help make life better. You know, people who see it from the outside looking in who are not Jewish and have no connections with Judaism see it as something just being something totally weird, you know. But in, in all honesty, you we can put these into practical terms and in practical applications and practical manners. Um, and it's really not all that weird in all honesty. It'll make your brain want to explode, though. I, I will tell you that. You know, there, there's there's times whenever it is that I have to study the Zohar and all that stuff as I'm a second-year Kabbalah student. And my my brain just wants to explode. And I got a 154 IQ. And it makes my brain want to explode, you know, so. But <laughs> I'll tell you, I had this hot fajita earlier. And when I make these things, okay, not only do I use the hottest fajita sauce that there is, but then I take sriracha and then I put jalapenos in it and all that stuff. So, you know, that's the reason for all this coughing here and why does I'm heavily reliant upon my drink at the moment. I think I went a little bit too overboard. As you get a little bit older, it doesn't matter how hot the stuff was that you you know were able to eat 10 years ago. It really starts to wear on you as you get older. Believe you me. But Rabbi Arush says, A husband cannot use his outstanding debts as an excuse for not providing for his wife's needs. He can't say, First I'll repay the loans and then I'll provide for you. The duty to provide for her comes before repaying the loans. This is a tough thing. This is a tough thing. Because ultimately, what we want to do is we say, first of all, we need to take care of the responsibilities of the things that it is that provide shelter, food, clothing, electricity, all these things, for because it benefits both the man and the wife. At the same time, so, so we say to ourselves, that must come first, right? But see, ultimately, in many ways, it's almost secondary. 
It's almost secondary because think on this. First of all, if there is no Simcha, there is no Ahavat, there is no Chassid, if there are none of these things within that of a marital relationship, then what good are the creature comforts? Okay? The creature comforts in terms of what it is that us men want, what it is that we, you know, say, you know, uh, hey, I'm doing the right thing because I'm taking care of these loans first before I'm worrying about you wanting this particular part of jewelry. You got to think to yourself, what is worse? You know, getting a letter in the mail or, you know, having your wife mad at you 24-7 and constantly hearing this in your mind. So therefore, her needs, whatever it is they are, they come first. They come first above all else. Rebbe Nachman Abreslov also teaches that income is generated from the illumination of a wife's soul. Wow. That's from Lekate Mahoron. For money comes from a person's virtue by that of his wife, according to Zohar Tazria 52. That's a huge premise. That is a huge premise. And, and, and how is it that this makes sense? It's because of her just physical being, of her just being there, that causes this to be the case? Is that the reason? No. Think about this. Think about the times that you have had great shalom, where nothing it is could go wrong. You had shalom bayis. You had marital bliss or peace in the home. And you see that everything else, first of all, is, is so much easier. Your job, it's so much easier because of the fact that you are, you go there with this, with this need to provide for that of your wife. You go to your job because of the fact that it makes you feel like a man, makes you feel like, you know, first of all, I'm going to go and do this for her so that it is that she has each and every single thing that it is that she needs. And I am providing my role as a man by going and doing these things. What ultimately ends up happening is a person has more simcha, they have more joy within that of their workplace. They then, when they have a better mindset, through that of simcha, ahavat, as well as, uh, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, 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 peace, love, and, um, my gosh, and uh, simcha, and joy. You know, when they have all of these things being a part of the mind, and these are the things that flow through the veins. One of the things that we hear from our Rebbe Melech Mashiach, we hear from Yeshua, is where your atzor, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is as well. We also go and see that, um, that Rav Shaul goes and tells us to prepare our minds in a way to where it is that we focus in on the things that are good, all the things that are edifying, all the things that are trustworthy, all the things that are of good report. He says to focus in on these things in Philippians 4.8. Now, the thing is that I've come in contact with other teachers when I was young in my walk and even today individuals who are very young in their walk and for some reason they think that they're teachers. Now the issue that they ultimately end up having that is a universal one is that first of all they are not encapsulating Ahava, Simcha, and Shalom. They are not encapsulating those, those things. Their focus is on things such as conspiracy theory or uh, going and uh, exposing the Christian church or the Catholic church and all these other things. Their focus are on things that are negative 
And those negative things have implications in that of their marriage. It causes their marriage to go down horrible valleys. And ultimately, divorce is on a high rise within that of the Hebrew Roots community. I I remember talking to a, a rabbi friend of mine, as a matter of fact, and he's a Hebrew Roots guy. I'm a, you know, I'm the Lapid Jewish guy, you know, but he, he told me, he said, you know, within, within two years of marriage, there's an 84% failure rate within that of the Hebrew Roots movement. Wow. And it's only a, uh, and it's a 52% success rate within that of Christianity after five years. Within Judaism, however, there's a 92% success rate in 10 years. In 10 years, people are still married, 92%. And 84% within two years in the Hebrew roots are divorced. This is scary stuff. This is scary stuff. And why is this? It's because of the mindset. Now, the thing about it, though, is that women, they bring the shalom ba'is. They bring that into the home. What is the job of us men? What is our job? Our job is to make it grow. To make it grow and to make it sustain. How is it that we make it grow and we make it sustain? By providing for her each and every single need. No matter how goofy it can seem in our eyes. Oh, I need a new purse. Didn't we just get you a new purse a couple of months ago? Didn't we just do that? I know, but I need a winter purse. You know, it's like, you know, it's to us guys, it makes no sense. It, it really doesn't. But we sit there and instead of saying, you know, why is it that you need another one? Instead, we go, yes, dear. And we provide the means in order to do it. That is our job. That is our role in helping to maintain Shalom Ba'is as well as chapter two of this series that we ended up doing. This says no comments or criticism. Make sure to go and review that, uh, that video or MP3 teaching on chapter, on chapter two, if you have not already. Rabbi Shalom Arush goes on in page 248 here. The way to do better, uh, to do better his financial position is to be a man of valor and to do his job and make it a living. This entails extensive prayer to Hashem and mending his ways. In addition to any necessary practical effort, he must assume the responsibility of his obligation in any necessary manner without expecting her, uh, expecting her assistance or understanding. On the contrary, the husband must make his wife happy by her presence, give her money, and spend time to fulfill her needs. By doing so, her soul will radiate, and she will, and he will reap the benefits from an adequate income. So often, you know, we hear people go and say, you know, you know, it doesn't matter how much it is that the, 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 that we make. Right now, I'm I'm in a position to where it is that. You know, guys, you know, any of you guys who think that I make money off of these teachings are are are, are really <laughs> in for a surprise here. Okay, you know, we we though it is that we have 150,000 people who listen to this radio program each and every single week, I pay out $250 every single month, you know, to keep these things going and to, you know, and uh to you know to provide you guys with the Roku channel, the iTunes, you know, and all of these things that it is that we do. The fact of the matter is that first of all, if I were to ever be married, I would quit these teachings because of the fact that that is not my obligation. 
I was listening to this individual that uh, I used to know many, 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 many years ago who would, who was going on about how it is that his wife is not his primary, um, is not his primary focus, that it's all the people that it is that he serves on the internet. I'm sitting over there going, Hashvi Shalom, God forbid. Because of the fact that a person's own ministry is within that of their home. If there is Shalom bias, then they're fulfilling their role. But once it is that you decide that you're not going to provide for your wife's needs, you say, hey, I'm going to go and travel. I'm going to go uh, to Las Vegas. I'm going to go to uh, Honduras. I'm going to go to... Uh, to uh, Venezuela, you know, all of these things, then you are not being able to fulfill your role. You are going and putting, you know, all of your things into, you know, uh, uh, things that are ultimately going to hurt your marriage. And sadly, you know, well, my wife doesn't say anything about that, but but the fact is that she will. At some point, it's going to boil over. At some point, it may be a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, maybe a couple of years. It's going to boil over. And you're going to be in for a world of hurt, my friend. This is the fact of the matter. Our sages said, One should always be careful with the wife's honor. For blessing in one's household is by virtue of the wife. For it is written in, in Bereshit chapter 12, And Abram uh, benefited because of her. Rabbah said to the townspeople of Mehozah, Honor your wives so that you will be wealthy. Maybe someone will say, I don't need wealth and I don't feel like honoring my wife. In that respect, the Gamorah says that three things bring a person to poverty. One, which is the wife curses her husband to his face. Rabbah comments, that she curses him because he uh, he has money, but he's too stingy to buy her jewelry, as we find within that of uh, tractates Shabbat twenty six. Or, or I'm sorry, Shabbat sixty two rather. The above mentioned Gamara passage teaches that uh, for a woman's jewelry is not a luxury; it's a needed element for her health and for her soul. Without it, she feels deep distress. Otherwise, it's impossible to understand why a wife would curse a husband simply because he doesn't buy her jewelry. We also learn that if a husband doesn't honor his wife enough to buy her jewelry, he will he um, not only forfeits the blessing of wealth, but also falls into poverty. The person might continue to argue with the Gemara and maintain that he doesn't need to buy his wife jewelry if he can't afford to. Afford to, that quotation right there, is a matter of priority. Many men don't have don't have spare cash, but if they really want something, like a new digital camera, an iPod, tickets to the NBA, or whatever, they find ways and means. If a husband mo- uh, moves his wife to the top of his priorities, he'll undoubtedly find the ways and means to provide for her when uh, her needs is in the jewelry case. This and this is so true. This is so true. It's so interesting because I always uh you know I, I come across this often with people that it is that we counsel, you know, who are having issues within that of their marriage. We see that uh that the uh that the family, you know, has, you know, the um you know the the 500 uh cable television channels you know provided by satellite they have the uh, 
they have the brand new iPhones, you know, they have the brand new, you know, tablets, the brand new laptops, the brand new, you know, of all of these things that are essentially, yes, they're that of a luxury. And then the man has the man cave where he has the, uh, you know, the posters of the, of the sports heroes, you know, signed. I got this on eBay for only 500 bucks, you know, and all that stuff. But yet... What ultimately ends up happening is the wife then goes and suffers in other ways of the things that it is that are set apart only for her. Yes, of course, the family is going to need their their cell phones. Great. It's the brand new iPhone. That's awesome. But the fact is that, wait a minute, she has the same thing that her husband has here. What about something that is solely for her? That's a part of her honor and her vitality. That is a real gift as opposed to, oh, I bought all the family brand new iPhones. You know, because that is something that is set apart and different for her. That is something that to where it is an extra emphasis and focus is put upon her. If we can afford to travel, take vacations, buy these NBA tickets or, you know, go to concerts or anything like that, you have no excuse, my friend, no excuse whatsoever to providing your wife for the things that she desperately wants. The fact is that if, it is that you do all of these other things, but yet don't provide these things that it is that she wants that helps to lift up her honor and her vitality, then you, sir, are a stringy and selfish individual. That's the fact of the matter. The first words that a husband commits to in the ketubah, the Jewish marital contract, is bisayata deshamaya, which means with Hashem's help. Emunah, the pure and complete faith in Hashem, is what is needed to rely on Hashem's help. Without Emunah, a husband is too hard-pressed to meet all of his obligations to his wife. Therefore, Emunah is the first of the husband's commitments. The second commitment is to go to work. This is explicit in the Ketubah. To shut the mouths of lazy false believers who roll their eyes, shrug their shoulders, and say, Hashem will provide. We hear that all so often, don't we? Lazy people just say, oh, I'm not going to worry about it. Hashem will provide. When the wives of these holy deadbeats, I love the way he phrased that, holy deadbeats complain that they have no money, the husbands scold them and say, why don't you trust in Hashem? Where's your emunah? Our sages foresaw the phenomena in a pseudo-holy lazy husband and therefore made him sign a written commitment. I love the humor that Rabbi Shalom Arush puts it within this. Which is an integral part to the ketubah to go to work. It's the job to go to work and to make a living, not hers. It's not the job to teach her faith and trust in Hashem nor to lecture her about Emunah. If our sages... Uh, would have wanted to put the burden of livelihood upon the wife's faith, then they wouldn't have required the husband to make a signed commitment of going to work. <coughs> so easy to become a holy deadbeat. We got a, quite a few holy deadbeats, if you ask me. Think about this. I mean, I mean just seriously, just think about this. Think of all of the different internet teachers out there who don't have jobs. Oh, my job is to go and teach the Torah on the internet. That's not a job. That's not a job. That's a hobby. 
You know, whenever it is that you go out there, you do a Torah portion teaching every single week and say, that's my job. That's my job. However, however, you guys know that I work full time. You guys know that, 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 you know, that I, I, you know, ever since I started teaching, I've always worked full time. Something I've always done. How many teachings a week do you see me doing? We do the Torah portion every single week. We do the Garden of Peace. We do the Didache teachings. And then every two weeks we have the teaching with uh, with uh, Matthew as well. And then, you know, say, you know, plus I teach on at the Hebrew and Aramaic Learning Institute. And I work a full-time job. I don't ask you guys... <coughs> To be my source of income. We do instead. Is we're going to put these on every single platform. That you can think of. YouTube. <coughs> oh, see. YouTube, Vimeo. And iTunes. As well as the website. And all of those things. Holy Deadbeat says. I don't have to work. I teach the Torah. That's a Holy Deadbeat. Once a rabbinical student approached uh, Rabbi Benzion, Abba Shaul, of saintly of, me- of saintly and blessed memory, the student claimed that he couldn't afford to buy his wife the new dress because he devoted all of his time to Torah story, uh, Torah study. In that case, said the rabbi, close your Gemara, go get a job, and buy your wife what she needs. This is your solemn obligation, according to the terms of your ketubah. We see from here just how serious a husband's obligation is to provide for his wife. It's the lazy person who says that it is that they don't have to work because they're studying Torah. That's the lazy person. That is not a person who can fulfill the role of a ketubah. They can't do it. In the very first teaching that we did on this series, we talked about the Holy Celibate Shelah. What did the Holy Celibate Shelah do? The Holy Celibate Shelah lived within that of the synagogue, studied Torah all day long. And then when he went to Olam Haba, comes before Hashem, he says, uh, you didn't fulfill your role. He's considered to be the most holy land in the land of Israel. But Hashem said, you didn't fulfill your role. You didn't fulfill one single mitzvah." Because of the fact that you were never married. Because of the fact that you never knew what it was like to have to struggle and have to work for somebody. You never learned how to do these basic things of the Torah. Because you've never been married. That's huge. That is huge. In Hebrew, to marry and to carry is the same word. Which is laset. Okay? When a husband marries a wife, it's his job to carry his wife, which means making a living and supporting her. Our sages say a man marries, and it's a play on words, with carries a woman, and not the other way around. From experience, when a husband burdens his wife with financial woes, in addition to the problems already at hand, he'll have to contend with his wife's anger, complaints, frustration, making his di- dilemma all the worse. 
Her having to contend with financial problems breaks her and and saddens her to no end. As for money management, the husband has three alternatives. One can be to manage the money. Two, they manage the money together. And three, he lets her manage the money. The first two alternatives often lead to bickering and a disagreement. Since the husband oversees and frequently frequently criticizes his wife's expenditures. Also, if anything is lacking, then the wife blames the husband. But when the husband gives free financial reign to his wife, he wins four times over. First, he shows her that he trusts her and that he gives her this wonderful feeling of security. Second, she has no complaints that he's holding back anything from her. Third, if his income is limited, she'll readily be more understanding of their situation. And fourth, they'll save the wear and tear of arguments about money. That's huge. That's huge. That's a, that's a, that's, you know, one of the biggest things right there. Men, if you're married, as soon as you get paid every single week, give your wife the check and say, this is, you know, you do what it is that, that, that needs to be done. Here you go. I am trusting you fully and completely with this. That, that is, that is going to help you out more times than anything. Say, I'm hands off. This is all you. And we got one little last part here of, uh, of this teaching here today. One little last part under the header, a good husband on page 255. One of the worst types of stringiness is a husband's stringiness in regards to his wife and children. He neither sees nor fills their needs. This is absolute cruelty. Every household expenditure is a waste that triggers his wrath. Such a husband is virtually impossible to live with. Nothing saddens a woman more like a stringy husband. By nature, a woman needs her husband to shine his light on her. And we read that passage within that of Zohar, where it talks about how it is that the man is a sun and the woman is the moon. For the woman has no light of her own. The moon has no light, but it reflects the light of that of the husband. You know, and so this is why it is that it's worded this way here. In particular terms, this means giving her money. Even the understanding wife of a poverty-stricken husband that had nothing to give finds life unbearable. But it's even worse when a husband has money but fails to give any to his wife. A husband's um, a husband's attitude towards outsiders, but stringiness with his own wife is like a bitter living uh, is is like a bitter living death to her. If the husband would believe in the Gemara's words and honoring his wife would lead to wealth, then he'll certainly honor her by purchasing her clothes and jewelry for her. The better she feels, the more her soul shines. The more her soul shines, the bigger the blessing of abundance that he reaps. Rather than being angry for with her for spending money, since anger destroys income, he should be happy that his uh, that she's happy, and therefore let her spend the money on what she needs. By honoring her, we'll see enhancement blessing come. The Gamara gives solid advice to the husband, as we see in Tractate Cholim. 84, it says a man should always eat and drink below uh, his means, dress according to his means, and honor his wife 
beyond his means. Okay, and that right there can wrap up that entire chapter right there in all honesty. That one statement right there from the Gamarab is going to uh, uh, definitely help you guys out. Now, I want to see if we have any questions here from any, any of the people watching or listening. I'll give you a couple of minutes here as I go ahead and uh, lead you into next week. Next week, we are going to be going through probably one of the biggest chapters within this book, um, The Garden of Peace, Marital Guide for Men. And it's uh, almost going to wrap us totally up. I think we only got one more chapter after this. Yeah, we sure do. Uh, this next chapter, uh, which is entitled The Garden of Eden, is chapter 12, goes all the way from page 258 to page 304. Okay? This is by far the biggest chapter in this book. Okay, so it may take us two weeks to go through that chapter. I don't know. I want to make sure that we that we cover it, you know, um, you know, uh, that we cover it su sufficiently. Also, anybody wants a PDF version of this is a, a messianic version of the Garden of Peace. It's called Adam Loves Eve. Um, if you guys want a um, copy of that book. Um, in PDF form, send me a private message and I'll be, or send me an email. I'll be more than happy to go and send you the PDF. All right. Doesn't appear that we have any questions here today. So what I'm going to be going to do is going to wish each and every single one of you shalom bracha, peace and a blessing. But before I do, I want to go ahead and tell you guys, make sure to go ahead on over to HebrewandAramaic.com today, uh, the, which is the Hebrew and Aramaic Learning Institute. Um, we have, um, a discount going on, and I'm not going to get into to the discount, but it's a pretty significant discount, as a matter of fact, uh, for the Hebrew and Aramaic Learning Institute. Um, so go in, so go over there before Shabbos and sign up because the uh, deal ends on Shabbos. Okay, so make sure to go and do that. All right. So I'm going to wish each and every single one of you shalom bracha, peace and a blessing. Shalom. So you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic, or maybe both? Make sure to check out HebrewandAramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time, and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step-by-step -step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons that you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month.